uh, Zechariah chapter 11. Uh, we are going through uh, these verses. You know, the first part of Zechariah has got the visions. It's, it's fairly easy to uh, understand. It's the, the returns coming back from Babylonian captivity. But when we get into chapter 9, 10, and 11 here, and going on up into the end of the book, it appears what we've got, and you know, like I said, we had to kind of approach this and kind of figure out what was going on. But it seems like it's, it's talking about projecting after the days of, of, uh, of, of the return, the, the days that are going to take place with the Greeks, the coming of Alexander, uh, what will take place after that, but also then the coming of the Messiah. We've seen the Messiah uh, that's going to come riding on a donkey. But then all those prophecies are both, in a sense, they're, they're talking about the ministry of Jesus, but projecting even into, the, into eschatology. Chapter 11 uh, has those first four verses are kind of hinging between the nations uh, being mentioned in chapter 10 and, and being judged and what's going to be taking place and the Lord returning and setting up his kingdom. And uh, I'll read, uh, just, I'll just read on the, on the notes, the English Standard Version on page one of the notes, uh, the, this verse about uh, the, the trees. Uh, this can be talking about the destruction, of course, that takes place uh, when, when the Lord returns or when Rome comes back, talking about the devastation of land, or it can be talking about the nations that are being judged. But nonetheless, uh, open your doors, O Lebanon, that fire may devour your cedars. Wail, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen, for the glorious trees are ruined. Wail, oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has felled. The sound of the wail of the shepherds, for their glory is ruined. The sound of the roar of the lions, for the thicket of the Jordan is ruined. And that is discussing, again, some kind of a judgment that is taking place. If it be uh, uh, the, the return of the Lord, if it be uh, the Romans coming in after Jesus Christ was rejected. And that leads into chapter 11, verse 4, where we began this last week talking about uh, the good shepherd. It mentioned the shepherds there in those verses. They're, they're, they were the wailing shepherds. They're, and the shepherds would be leaders. They're, they're, we could see that as, that's why this could be a very easy metaphor, that the shepherds were wailing because of the destruction of the nations, uh, Syria, Lebanon, coming down into Jordan with the marching of Rome coming through in 66 to 70 A.D., destroying it. If that's it, the historical prophecy of this taking place. You've got the wailing shepherds. Now we're going to talk about the good shepherd is going to be mentioned here. And we're going to spend some time tonight talking about the good shepherd, which is, uh, I'm going to say, Jesus. And I'm going to play this into being fulfilled in 30 A.D. or in Jesus' ministry. Then the chapter is going to end. We won't get to the verses tonight. The foolish shepherd or the worthless shepherd. And this worthless shepherd is going to probably be, uh, and I, I'll say probably just so I don't sound dogmatic because we want to study it, but that's going to be the Antichrist that's going to be replacing the good shepherd. So the wailing shepherds would be potentially uh, the leaders that were wailing because they seeing everything being devastated by Rome coming down through the Jewish wars. The reason those shepherds are wailing is because the good shepherd had come and the flock had rejected him and so he also rejected the flock because they rejected him and has sent them off to their fate and they're going to be destroyed 
and coming in because the good shepherd was rejected what's going to follow that is going to be the foolish or worthless shepherd who's not going to care for the sheep but he's going to use the sheep for his own advantage now during this time talking about the good shepherd in these verses coming up there's going to be a, a section where he's going to get rid of three of the worthless shepherds he's going to have some shepherds working for him that he's going to dismiss going to fire get rid of them so within here the good shepherd's going to be firing the worthless leadership that is working alongside of him and that's what's coming up in these verses uh tonight again we started this last week uh some of the verses, like I even said last week, some of these verses have up to 40 different interpretations trying to figure out where they're going. It seems to me to fit very well between 66, excuse me, excuse me, uh, that in 30 AD, Jesus being rejected in his ministry and the destruction coming then in 66, the 70 AD, the, the Roman destruction of the sheep. So when the sheep reject Jesus, Jesus, of course, rejects the sheep, and they go to their destruction. So here it is, chapter 11, verse 4. Thus says the Lord my God, this is God speaking to Zechariah, become shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. And we, we talked about this last week, is several things will be taking place. Either he's going to be acting this out, he's going to be speaking this as just a story, or he's actually going to take on this job as a shepherd. Uh, and so... These are this is what we're working with. It is prophetic talking about whatever Zechariah is doing. Someone's going to be doing a good shepherd's going to do this very same thing with the people of Israel. Become a shepherd of the flock, doomed to slaughter. So now these sheep, these sheep that he's going to shepherd are doomed, and that would be matching up 30 A.D. The sheep are doomed. Their, their, their fate is set. But Jesus is going to come minister to them, see if he can do something about. Uh, turning their hearts and we did mention last week i would believe uh that that parable of the owner of the the vineyard coming and saying i've been coming for three seasons to get fruit from this tree and it's not producing cut it down let's not waste the soil and the the gardener taking care of it says give me one more season and let me fertilize it take care of it and if it produces fruit good if not then we'll cut it down so that would be a parable of uh Israel was already doomed. They were said they, for three seasons. God's been coming looking for fruit. Jesus says, "Give me one more. Let me be a good gardener, or in this case, let me pastor the sheep doomed to slaughter, and let me see what happens." And of course, it's not going to work out for him. Those who buy them slaughter them and go unpunished. This is going to be the result. Uh, and those who sell them say, Blessed be the Lord, I have become rich. And their own shepherds have no pity on them. Uh, I put in here again, uh, the, circling the, the, the pronoun that was feminine. All the pronouns there are feminine. We're referring to them, the sheep. And feminine sheep, if that was the case, they're not for butchering. They're for breeding. And so the very fact that they, some commentators make a comment about that, that that is unusual it doesn't fit if the sheep are going to be slaughtered they would not be slaughtering the uh the the ewes that were used for breeding you'd breed and then slaughter uh the uh, the ones that would the male sheep but here the ones that are for breeding are being slaughtered uh and who are the, all these people you got uh those who buy them 
They're going to buy them and slaughter them, but someone is selling them, and this appears to be the leaders, the, the leaders of Jerusalem or Judea, are the leaders, are selling the people to the nations, to the foreign powers, or are willing, and someone is getting rich within the nation, and the nations are selling them, and it says right there, and their own shepherds have no pity on them, and that there's, the, it's, again, sheep are, you know, they're not people, so if you're talking about sheep, they're going to be used for, you know, clothing, for food, for breeding, they're, they're an animal, but now when we start talking about shepherds not having pity on them, that would be the leadership of the people, they're not really good leaders, they're not concerned about the people they're treating the people they're treating the people like animals now if these are sheep and you're selling the sheep uh, unless you're you know uh, uh, from western society in modern america and you know animals are just like people and you're all twisted up in your understanding uh sheep are meant to be sold slaughtered used for clothing animals that's what they're raised for but people uh, this would be completely out of, out of uh, the, the realms of what is proper. And that's what's interesting because when we go through the book of Mark on Monday nights, one of the things we keep seeing is Jesus having compassion. Jesus having compassion on the people. He's, he's going to the people. We were talking about last night. He was touching people. He was getting with them, taking them alone so he could heal them, whatever. He, had, he, he was feeding them. I have compassion for these people. Well, here are the shepherds. The people are, Jesus is even going to say it, the people are like sheep without a shepherd in, in 30 AD. And he has compassion on them. But these leaders are selling the people here, apparently, to the foreign nations like Rome. And the Jews are going to end up going into slavery, especially after 60 and 70 AD. Those who buy them slaughter them. They use them for their own benefit and go unpunished. Now, they're going unpunished because God, we're going to see why, God has... Uh, uh, broken the covenant with him. The covenant has been broken, and he gives them to the nations. He's already done that with Babylon. He's done that with Assyria. He's now going to do it again with Rome, and they're going to go unpunished because they've been given over to them uh, for for judgment. And those who sell them say, "Bless the Lord." I mean, their their theology's twisted. I've become rich. Their own shepherds have no pity on them. Chapter eleven, verse six. Why is this happening? Chapter 11, verse 6, For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of this land. And again, the fact that the word land is used right there is probably important because it's talking about the land of Israel. Whenever the phrase land pops up or the land, especially in the Old Testament, it's not just a land or any land or the world. It's the land. No longer in the land of Israel will I have pity on them declares the Lord. Now this is God talking to Zechariah who's acting the part of the shepherd. So you've got back here in 518, Zechariah is hearing this word, proclaiming this word, acting it out, getting the job or whatever. But God is now explaining to him, we're not going to have pity on these sheep uh, or any the inhabitants of the land, tying them into the sheep, declares the Lord, because I will cause, watch, each of them to fall into the hand of his neighbor and each into the hand of his king, and they will crush the land, and I will deliver none of them from their hand. So what you see here, it's going to come up again throughout these verses. I'll hand each of the, the people, 
and you can't get away from this, is in one sense we're talking about sheep, but in the very next verse we're talking about the people. In one sense we're talking about shepherds, and the next line we're talking about the leaders. So the, the, the connection there is very, very solid. These are, these are allegorical. These are metaphors. Maybe Zechariah is actually watching sheep, and maybe Zechariah is actually going to fire some shepherds that are actually working with him. But this whole imagery, these are representative of people and of the leaders. And what it says here, For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of the land, the people of the Jews living in the land. God is no longer going to have pity on them. Now this is not this time period. Here's what's, again, we've got to keep this in mind. He's writing this in 518 or 500 B.C., the exiles have returned, the temple's being rebuilt, they're up and running, heading into these, these, these new days with Alexander the Great coming, and then ultimately the Messiah coming the first time. So this is talking about some other generation than Zechariah's generation, because God would not be saying at this time, I'm no longer going to have pity on these people, because he's just been telling them, I'm going to make you great, things are going to grow, I'm giving you your priest, I'm giving you uh, Zerubbabel, the, the crown the, of the priest and everything, the temple's coming back together. So this is a new and exciting time here. So Zechariah is definitely talking about a prophetic future. At some point, the, these same Jews are going to produce a generation that God is going to say, I'm done with them. This is what's coming. I'm, I, you are going to eventually come to become a people I'm going to walk away from. Behold, I will cause each of them to fall into the hand of his neighbor. For these people in this land, their neighbor, they'll fall into the hand of their neighbor. Now, that's the first level of punishment is going to be, in a sense, crime. I mean, your neighborhoods, uh, your, your own community. It's going to become corrupt. They're going to start fighting or falling into each other's hands. And then each into the hand of his king. Uh, then the king is going to come in where now you're, it's dangerous within your neighborhood, within your neighbors, you can't trust them. Well, the king has to gain control, and now the king is going to come in and start taking control of this. Uh, see, that's where we're at today, and it's, it's obvious people know this, um, that we're, we, we talk about democracy, but the more we violate law, the more we try to change or cheat there's only going to be one way of getting this back under control, and it's not going to be democracy. You're not, you're not going to vote your way out of crime. The only way you're going to recover from a crime-infested land or a crime-infested government is tyranny, if that makes sense. Uh, you're going to, you could have, you could have a, a powerful person, a powerful group of people in charge of a country and them being, be willing in a controlled state to establish a new type of government, say a democracy. We're going to establish this law, and then they're going to enforce it. That's kind of how our country started. We, we won the war. Here's our now our new government. Here's how we're going to do these things. Follow the law. But when people start trying to break it apart and it gets to the place where it becomes lawless, you can't say, oh, it's so lawless, let's all go out and vote and have an, an order, orderly, fair election. Well, it's impossible because it, it's controlled with corruption. There's only one way you're going to gain control of neighbors turning on neighbors is some king is going to come in and have to be a tyrant and establish by force. Uh, well, that, I mean, that's what Jesus, when Jesus comes back, he's not going to come back and say, okay, let's stop fighting and let's all just get along. Let's all just vote and, and do 
what is best for everybody and decide what's right. He's going to come back with militant force and rule with an iron fist, with an iron scepter, it says. He will be, in a sense, a tyrant. Except he's going to rule with righteousness. He can do something that humans can't do. Humans have a human nature, a sinful nature, and the tyrant is always going to be selfish. They, they can say, well, I'm going to do what's best for the people. Unless you've got a checks and balance system, you're going to eventually do exactly what you want to do in spite of what's happening to people. Jesus Christ is not that way. He is compassionate. He is righteous. So when he comes back, he'll establish the righteous kingdom. Nonetheless, for I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of this land, declares the Lord. Behold, I will cause each of them to fall into the hand of his neighbor and each into the hand of the king, and they shall crush the land. And then coming after the king, they shall crush the land. That would be a, a foreign power because you're going to always have here in these verses the middle class, the leadership, and then the foreign power. You're going to have the nation. The nations are the one buying the sheep. The leaders are the ones selling the sheep. The sheep are the middle class. And so when you read this here, uh, declares the Lord, Behold, I will cause each of them to fall in the hand of his neighbor, and each in the hand of his king, and they shall crush the land, and I will deliver none from their hand. And when Rome comes up, the king, the leaders won't be delivered, the people won't be delivered, none of them, I'm bringing Rome in a foreign power, and I'm going to crush them. No one's going to be delivered from their hand. It's like, whoa, would God do that? Well, that's what he did with the Assyrians. That's what he did with the Babylonians. And now he's did it again with the Romans. Or in this case, it would be probably... It doesn't say Romans. You see what I'm saying? You can see where I'm reading into this, the fulfillment. So you've got your Bible verse there, the neighbors, the king, and then whoever's coming in to crush the land. I put Romans there. And then I've got an application of finding it fulfilled in prophecy. Chapter 11, verse 7. Because that's going to happen. This is, he says, uh, the sheep uh, destined for slaughter. They're doomed to slaughter. Now, again, in Zechariah's day, that may be a group of sheep that are set aside. They're going to be going to market. In this case right here, this would be potentially 30 A.D. Jews marked for slaughter in 60 to 70 A.D. And that, if, that, if that's what this is talking about, good. If this is not what Zechariah chapter 11 is talking about, this is still true. Because Jesus says the same thing in 30 A.D. There's not be one stone left upon another. Don't cry for me. Cry for yourselves and your children. When, when men do what men will do when the tree is cut down. Because Israel is going to be cut down. And that was that 40 years. So this is a good potential fulfillment. Because it is true. It's going to happen. Historically and biblically, it happened. Uh, but... That, that's what this is talking about. But now, the sheep marked for slaughter, right at this point right here, this is where Jesus is going to enter and say, I will be the good shepherd. I will come. And when, in, the, in other words, this is, what, this is Jesus' ministry. We got the, the Christmas story of the baby born in the manger, and he grows up and you know, goes through the three years of ministry. Well, this is chapter 11, verse 7, is the Christmas story right here. So I became the shepherd of the flock doomed to be slaughtered. So that, so that would be, see now notice right here, God says this is what I'm going to do. That, that's the verse before. For I have no longer have pity on these inhabitants. I'll hand them over to the neighbor, over to the king, and then they'll be crushed. And nothing will be left in the land. 
That's what's going to happen. That's what God is telling Zechariah. That's what's going to happen to these people. Now, Zechariah says, so, because of that, I became the shepherd of the flock. Now, that's Zechariah talking, but that's Zechariah fulfilling the role. This is what the Messiah. The Messiah is going to say the same thing. So, I became the shepherd of the flock. What flock? The flock doomed us to be slaughtered. He became the shepherd of the Jewish flock in 30 AD, the flock doomed to destruction. Uh, doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep traders. I took two staves, one named Favor and one named Union. So he's going to take two staves. And again, this is Zechariah, either acting this out, just telling a story, or actually have on the job. But it's prophetic of the Messiah who's going to come in 30 A.D. Favor, he's got two staffs, so he gets two staffs. Uh, uh, um, I'm looking here. If, yeah, point three. Shepherds carried a club or a rod to beat away wild beasts, and then a crooked staff for retrieving sheep. Just, just a note, they would have a club, some kind of a weapon that they could beat away opponents, but they also would have a crooked staff they could reach down and rescue sheep, lift sheep up like that. So they got a weapon and a, and a, and a crook that they could reach in for sheep. Uh, the staff favor, you can see the point two there, it's the, the word N-O-A-M in the Hebrew. It means uh, pleasantness, it means graciousness. This favor is going to be speaking of covenant. It, it's a covenant that God has with these people. Favor. These, he's going to come to these people that are doomed to slaughter, but he's coming with favor, with a covenant. He's coming with grace. He's coming to help them because of what, what, in a sense, he owes them because of the covenant. They are my people. I'm coming to them. I'm going to offer them my covenant, my favor, uh, pleasantness, graciousness. The other staff was union. And union, it means binders or unifiers. This would be speaking of the people. He's going to, he is going to come with favor from God for the covenant people, but he's also going to bring union. The people can unite together. Favor, not favor, but union with each other. Before they start to devour each other, they're going to be a people group. They're going to have the common uh, uh, holidays they're going to have the common culture they're going to have jesus speaking to the crowds pointing them in the same direction he's going to bring union to the people so this would be between brother and brother before the brethren or the neighbor turns on the neighbor he's going to turn the neighbor to the neighbor you're going to have union and you're going to have favor from god so i mean this is sums up a perfect culture favor with god and man and unity with your brothers he's going to bring these two staffs so when jesus the messiah comes he's bringing covenant with of god i'm here for my people and i'm going to help you have unity and help each other you're going to you're going to well you know he's going to demonstrate how to be kind how to work together okay so that i became the shepherd of the flock doomed to be slaughtered i mean look they're heading here but they're going to have favor and unity at this point and I took two staves, one named Favor, the other named Union, and I tended the sheep. 
That's what Jesus did. I had compassion. I showed up and I, tended, I fed them. I taught them. I, I ministered to them. I, I trained disciples. I, 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 I tended the sheep. I did what a leader was supposed to do. I tended the sheep. Chapter 11, verse 8. Here, two verses, is where it gets... This is some tricky stuff right here. Now, of course, I've got an opinion, but understand, these are slippery verses. Chapter 11, verse 8. If Jesus comes in 30 A.D., or if Zechariah is out in the field with the sheep. So he's either in 518 or the future. Both of them are going to be true. This is going to take place. Chapter 11, verse 8, Zechariah says, In one month I destroyed <coughs> three shepherds, but I became impatient with them, and they also detested me. So in one month I destroyed three shepherds. So the question is, one month, what does one month mean? Well, 30 days, okay? Uh, but there's, this is where you get like 40 different interpretations. Uh, and I destroyed the three shepherds. Now, if Zachariah's talking 518, 500, he's out, got a job. He goes out there, and in one month, his first month on the job, the problem here is these three guys are, they just sit around the fire playing cards or playing some dice game while the sheep are getting eaten by the wild beasts. It's like, you're all fired. You're doing a terrible job. You're not tending the sheep. I fired them. They're sheep. I got rid of these three bad shepherds. I will now take care of you. But the sheep were like, we don't even like you. We like the other guys better. It's like, they weren't even taking care of you. We don't like you. Which again, if you're talking about Jesus, Jesus is coming with favor and union. He's coming in righteousness, being righteous, showing them compassion, expecting them to respond to righteousness and compassion. But the people are so, well, they're doomed to destruction. They've already crossed the line into the fourth generation. He says, I'll show you righteousness. I'll show you compassion. They go, get out of here. We don't want that. We don't even understand. We don't even hear that. They didn't want righteousness. They didn't want his compassion. And so the sheep detested him. It's like, what, you know, we, what was wrong with these people? He came, John begins his gospel. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Here it is right here. So I became the shepherd of the flock, doomed to the slaughter, uh, by the sheep traders. I took two staffs, one named Favor, the other named Union, and I tended the sheep. And in one month, I destroyed the three shepherds, the three worthless shepherds, but I became impatient with them, and they also detested me. So I started taking care of the sheep, having compassion, healing them, and all they wanted to do is argue with me. So I, they didn't like me, I didn't like them. So there's going to be tension between this good shepherd and the sheep, or the, the Messiah and the people. Now the question is going to come, who are the three shepherds? Now, in Zechariah's story, if it's 518, they're just three worthless guys that are showing up for work every day but not taking care of the sheep. But prophetically, who were the three shepherds? First of all, um, point two, there are many interpretations for chapter 11, verse 8. The one month could mean these things, a literal 30-day period, a shorter period of time, something shorter than 30 days, or a longer undefined period of time. See? Okay. 30 days or less than 30 days or more than 30 days even undefined so long or 30 years if a month equals a year or i like to consider 
the last month of Jesus' ministry. In 30 days, that's when you go through Matthew. Remember, when in, especially when you go through Mark, and Matthew's similar to it, Jesus spends that, those, that time up in Galilee that we've been talking about, and then he, gets, uh, he, he leaves, goes up into the Gentile territory, and after that Gentile ministry, goes to Caesarea Philippi, and then heads to Jerusalem for the final month of his ministry. And that final month of his ministry, that's where you're going to have Jesus, that chapter in Matthew, where he argues with the Pharisees and shuts them down, argues with the Sadducees and shuts them down, argues with the Herodians and shuts them down, so much so that no one dared ask him any question. He goes to the Temple Mount, and they attack him, and he answers them and asks them a question. And they just, they're all like, whoa, no one's going to outsmart Jesus. And he's looking at the people like, whoa, well done. He destroyed three leaders during that final month but then as you know the palm sunday the people are here he comes they're excited about him they want him to do these certain things and he ends up that that final week the people don't want him and and he he's crying for jerusalem he says how i've tried to gather you like a like a hen tries to gather the chicks but you wouldn't have me you know and he says now you're left to yourself your 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 temple remains is left desolate it's it's gone so I could see it being the last month of Jesus' ministry in 30 A.D. when he's getting rid of those leaders. Now, who are those three shepherds? Uh, Here we go. The three leaders of the Jewish political factions fighting each other in Jerusalem before and during the Rome's siege of Jerusalem. Now, when the Romans march on Jerusalem, just like the verse says here, I'll turn neighbor against neighbor, there were factions. Uh, okay, let's imagine, let's imagine China invading America. Now, if you see China ava- invading America in, you know, romantically in 1776, we're all going to you know, jump on George Washington's boat and sail across the river and fight him on Christmas morning and win the Revolutionary War. We're all unified. But if you see China invading the United States uh, in 2023, uh, there's going to be someone that's going to go fight with China against America. There's going to be another group fight other Americans and try and start their own government. And then there's going to be another group fighting the other two groups and China. And it's like, who's, whose side are you? Are you would, would I fight with China? Would I fight uh, against China? Or would I fight against everyone else trying to establish my own little government? My point. When Rome is marching on Jerusalem in 66 and 70 AD, you know, in 70 AD when they arrive, they don't find a unified Jerusalem at the walls ready to defend Jerusalem. They find a civil war inside. They've got the, the Democrats are fighting the Republicans who are at war with the, you know, the freedom fighters or whatever. I mean, it, it's, they're all fighting each other. And they each had, and you can read this in Josephus, because Josephus records, because Josephus was one of the political parties that had said, okay, this is over, and just went back to Rome, or sided with Rome. They even had, you can find it as you go through the studies, you can find out what part of the city each of these guys controlled. It's like gangs, like who controls the south side, who controls the west side, who controlled the temple mound. And they all were fighting each other. And then Rome comes in and ends up fighting against them. So it was like, you're, it's exactly what this is saying. Neighbors turned on neighbor, and then the Romans come in. So uh, the three leaders of the Jewish political factions would be Eliezer, John, and Simon. Now those are not 
John the Apostle and Peter, Simon, those are just three guys. And you, you could spend a lot of time researching and you can find out a lot about their groups. In fact, you can find remains when they do uh, uh, archaeology. You can find remains of their, the battles they were fighting in Jerusalem in 70 AD. Uh, the three Seleucid kings or leaders, and the ones that are mentioned here, Seleucus IV, Heliodorus, and Demetrius Soter. And then you could just pick, keep picking and choosing. Antias Epiphanes is not even in there, uh, in that particular group. But these would be after Alexander dies and his kingdom is uh, then divided between the four generals, those generals branch out. One goes into Egypt, which is Ptolemy. Uh, Cassanders goes back to uh, Macedonia. Uh, Seleucid takes Syria, and that becomes the Seleucid Empire, which is basically the Greek Empire in Syria. And that would be the three leaders there. Okay, i got to keep going. Three corrupt high priests during the Seleucid impression, or oppression. So while the Seleucids, the Greeks in the north, were oppressing Jerusalem, the high priesthood, get this, the high priesthood sides with the solutions against the people. Because if they could have the power and get the money, so people were actually killing priests or killing the high priest, going up and trying to sell the solutions to the high priesthood so they could end up having access to the wealth of Jerusalem. So you end up having people that were priests that weren't even Levites, but they were put in position by the Seleucid kings. So now you've got three corrupt high priests. Jason was one, Menelaus, and Elchemist. Uh, three classes of leaders, prophet, priest, and king. Those could be the three leaders that were, or the shepherds that were destroyed. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes. You know, uh, I mentioned the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Herodians that Jesus defeats that last month. Uh, they could simply be symbolic of completeness. Or basically, the whole point of this is the good shepherd would deliver Israel from the poor, corrupt shepherds that are forerunners of the foolish and worthless shepherd. So whoever these, these shepherds are, these three shepherds that are destroyed, basically what it's saying is the good shepherd will get rid of the bad leadership. It will punish the bad leadership and go directly to the flock and say, I've got you. Now that we've got rid of the bad shepherds, I will take care of you. And now the sheep are so corrupt, they reject the good shepherd themselves. He's got rid of the bad leadership. And we can see in Mark, and in fact, we're going to go there next week, as you know, uh, Jesus is going to be sailing back across the Abyssalia into, uh, into Jewish territory, and the, high, the Pharisees are going to meet him on the shore and start arguing with him again. He's just going to turn and go away. Well, he, once he gets rid of that, his problem is not, well, I got rid of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the poor leadership. The, now you've got the people, and the people are going to be the ones that end up shouting, crucify him, crucify him, and get, getting, uh, having that. And that's exactly what this is talking about. Um, so, in one month, I destroyed the three shepherds. Again, we don't know what to do with that. What is one, it, one month? In 30 days, he destroys three shepherds. In Zechariah's time, Zechariah, in the first month of work with the sheep, fired three shepherds. There you have it. Prophetically, what does it mean? Uh, I can tie that into Jesus' ministry, but that's not a slam dunk. It seems to fit. But I became impatient with them, the sheep, and they also detested me. So now you've got a conflict between the good shepherd and the sheep. Chapter 11, verse 9. So I said, I told them, I will not be your shepherd. What is it to die? Let it die. 
What is it to be destroyed? Let it be destroyed, and let those who are left devour the flesh of one another. All right, I got rid of those bad shepherds. I'm going to show you what a good shepherd. This is what I will do for you. I'll bring you covenant with God. I'll help you build unity as a brotherhood. I will have compassion and lead you in righteousness. What? You don't want any of that? Well, then I'm not going to be your shepherd. And now you've got nobody. You don't have the bad leaders. You don't have me. I'm going to let the, those, let those that are destined to die, you're going to die. Those are going to be destroyed. I'm going to let you be destroyed. But that's not going to be all of you. Some of you are going to be left. And I'm going to let you eat each other. You'll eat each other. Now, again, sheep eating each other. But here we have it right here. I will not be your shepherd. What is it to die? Let it die. What is it to be destroyed? Let it be destroyed. And let those who are left devour the flesh of one another. Talk about neighbor turning on neighbor. They're going to be eating each other. And here we have it. The flock detested their good shepherd, so the shepherd quit and left the sheep to their fate of being the flock without a shepherd. First death, then destruction. And if that didn't get you, uh, devouring each other. Now, Without becoming too graphic, this is not just a metaphor or poetry. Josephus, and I've read the account, records people eating each other because the, with all the war going on in each other, those groups, those political factions that were fighting, they would invade each other's storehouses and burn the grain. You know, it would be like, Someone in West Des Moines, knowing that we've got food out at Hy-Vee, they go out and burn Hy-Vee so we don't have any food, but we retaliate and go over to their part of town and burn their little, you know, their supply. It's like, there, now you're going to starve too. Well, then Rome comes in and won't let them have any food, and, and there's still some people die, lucky them. Some are destroyed, lucky them, but some don't. They're just like, they, they, they're just like, they're still alive. Things are burning. Everybody's dead. There's no, can't trust anybody. And they haven't eaten for a month. But hey, I'm faster than that guy. <laughs> and they start eating each other. And then there's stories, Josephus records, uh, one particular one of a mother uh, cooking her baby and making a deal with another woman, you know, to do this. And then the other woman hides her baby. And uh, the other mom's mad because it's like, we, we had a contract. We were going to, take turns eating each other babies and it's like you know you hid your baby and it's like Josephus says and and people heard about that they were just devastated those that hadn't already died here point two under c on page four Deuteronomy and again we could go in more detail but this is not unusual because part of the mosaic covenant the curse of the covenant if you go all the way through chapter 28 verse 53 to 55 I've got written here because of your suffering, your enemy will inflict on you during the siege. This is God telling the people through Moses. If you don't listen to me, this is the fifth. This is the, we talk about the four generations. This is the fifth cycle of discipline that comes at the end of the fourth generation. It happened in Samaria in northern Israel. It happened in Jerusalem in 586. It's promised here, and it happened in Jerusalem in 70 AD. And here it is. This is what God says will happen to you. If you don't respond in the first generation, the second generation, the third generation, you don't respond in the fourth generation, then you will not have a fifth generation because this is how I will end the fourth generation. Because of the suffering your enemy will inflict on you during the siege, you will eat the fruit of the womb, the flesh of the sons and daughters the Lord your God has given you. 
Even the most gentle and sensitive man among you will have no compassion on his own brother or his wife he loves or his surviving children, and he will not give to one of them any of the flesh of his children that he is eating. What? That's in the Bible? Yeah, that's the law of Moses. That's the fifth cycle. That's why we talk about the fourth cycle of discipline or the four-generation cycle. It doesn't end pretty. I mean, it's like if we are in the fourth generation, it, this, okay, Jeremiah 19.9. Jeremiah, who is saying the fourth generation is here and this is where you're going to end up, he writes, God says, I will make them eat the flesh of their sons and their daughters and everyone shall eat the flesh of his neighbor in the siege. And that's 586 B.C. So you've got 70 A.D., you've got 586 B.C., and you've got God promising it in the book of Deuteronomy, that's what I'm going to do to you. And that's what it's going to be like when uh, he, he breaks favor with them. But nonetheless, I'm going to read that verse again. So I said, because they don't want it to be shepherd, I will not be your shepherd. What is to die, let it die. What is to be destroyed, let it be destroyed. And let those who are left devour the flesh of one another. I'm out of here. And Jesus, in our Christmas or Christian story, ascends into heaven, is seated at the right hand of God, and Jerusalem goes in through their final, final 40 years and end up eating each other. I mean, in Christianity, Jesus ascends into heaven, but the reason he was crucified and rejected by the Jews is going to lead to their destruction. Chapter 11, verse 10. And I took my staff favor and broke it annulling the covenant i had made with all the peoples in other words they had favor remember they had two they had two two staffs favor that was covenant with god meaning god's got a covenant i'm going to show you i'm going to come to you you're not deserving but i'm going to come show you favor i'm going to show you righteousness i'm going to get rid of your bad leadership i'm going to have compassion on you and and you don't want it you don't want compassion you don't want righteousness okay then i break it you no longer have favor with god and what comes after when there's no favor with God, when the covenant is annulled or broken? What comes next? The nations. The nations come and invade you. I took my staff favor and broke it, annulling the covenant I had made with the people. So it was annulled on that day. And the sheep traders who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. Interesting verse right there in 518 or whenever Jeremiah, Zechariah is saying that. He says when that, he says it and breaks that staff, says the covenant is broken the sheep traders who were watching they understood what that prophecy meant or if this is jesus ministry they knew what it meant when he says there won't be one stone left upon another your temple has left you desolate don't cry for me cry for yourselves and your children the sheep traders they knew what this meant the people that were who's the sheep traders that would be the leaders of jerusalem that are selling the people off to the nations or the nations coming in and buying them they 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 knew that god's favor especially in 66 to 70 a.d as rome is just marching through the land they realize god has left this place when they see there's a vast majority of the jews they died in the streets they died of famine but a lot of them were just taken captive and taken to rome they say the jewish slaves were were so cheap uh, they're i don't know so i heard one say they're like a dollar a piece I mean, it's like, how many slaves do you want? I mean, they're just, it's like, I, I don't want any more slaves. I can't take care of the ones I got. It's like, how many dogs? Look, how, you can just get free dogs. You're like, well, how many dogs? Well, I only want one or two because I got to feed them. I got to take care of them. It's like, look at all the slaves I got. 
They're cheap. Yeah, you got 30 slaves. What are you going to do with them? You got to feed them. You got to put them somewhere. And that's what it was. The, the sl- slave market of, of uh, just, they're so cheap because of what takes place right here. Favor was gone. And the slave traders, or here it says, the sheep traders knew it was the word of God. <laughs> There's so many slaves. And again, when we talk about slavery here, uh, it's, it's not, in a sense, a racial thing like what we have in our culture. It's a cultural, it's a national of uh, uh, the loss of warfare, a loss of your society, loss of culture. Chapter 11, verse 11. So it was annulled on that day, and the sheep traders who were watching knew that it was the word of the Lord. Then I said to them, now again, this is the shepherd, the good shepherd, saying to the sheep. Then I said to them, if it seems good to you, Give me my wages, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out my wages, as my wages, 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, throw that to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Now, obviously, you recognize these verses because they're right out of the New Testament. Both of these things are quoted and refers to Jeremiah 19. Let's look at this again. Then I said to them, Meaning, that he, this is the, shepherd, the good shepherd. He's rejected the sheep. He broke favor. He says, you're done. And then he says, here's what I think. And it, really, this is what it means. Here's what I think of you. This is more of a reflection on what the good shepherd thinks of the sheep than what the sheep think of the shepherd. He says to them, uh, Then I said to them, If it seems good to you, if you want to, you can give me my wages. But if you don't want to give it to me, keep them. What do I care? I have no, I don't care what, you, if you want to pay me what you owe me, pay me. But if you say we're not going to pay me, I don't care. I don't care if you give me my money or if you don't give me money. I don't even care what you think. Your opinion means nothing to me. That's, I dismiss your opinion totally. If it seems good, give me my wages. But if not, keep them. I don't care. And they weighed out for me as my wages 30 pieces of silver. So I said, I don't care what you do. They said, well, we'll pay you 30 pieces of silver. Now, before you say, well, 30 pieces of silver, that sounds like a lot of money. Don't go there. Stay in the context because the context will tell you what this means. Uh, So they weighed out for me 30 pieces of silver. And then the Lord said to me, so now you've got the Lord. That was Zacharias speaking, but whenever Zacharias speaking, it's prophetic of the Lord himself speaking. Then now, or Jesus, then the Lord said to me, now Zacharias ha- has said this, whatever you want to pay me, pay me. I don't care, I don't care what you think. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter. So he says to Zechariah, throw those 30 pieces of silver to the potter. And then right here, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. They thought I was worth 30 pieces of silver or the handsome price. He says that mockingly. So this person or Zechariah, for their wages, their severance pay to end the contract, here's 30 pieces. <laughs> All right, 30 pieces of silver. Ooh, that handsome price you paid me. Meaning... He's mocking how little it was. It was next to nothing in this story. And here's some information about this. Point four. 
A 30 piece of silver was the price of a slave sold in Israel in Exodus 21. So if you wanted to buy a slave, 30 pieces of silver would buy a, a slave. Also, 30 pieces of silver was considered, now get this, was considered at times the wages of a slave. So, I mean, I didn't even know you paid a slave. A slave just does what they're told. But I know, but here, here's a little bit for your trouble. It's like a tip. You, the slave does the work, and eh, here's 30 pieces of silver. Here's a little something for you. Meaning it's, it's like leaving a tip. Uh, you know, it's not like paying your bill. Your, your bill is, say, you know, $50, and then you leave 10% to be $5. So it's like uh, they, get, they get $5. They, you got a whole meal, you had this whole experience, and they get $5. That's what this is. It's like the wages of a, it's like tipping a slave for doing their work. It's, it means next to nothing. Um, I'm looking for other things there about what it says there. Uh, Zechariah, okay. Uh, these next verses right here, I probably want to spend some time on this next week. Uh, boy, because right here, you can see right here, I've got this written down uh, in... Uh, Chapter 11, verses 12 and 13 is used in Matthew uh, 26 and Matthew 27. We'll read those right now. Uh, and then we've got to come back and, and clean this up if we, if we want to. Uh, Matthew, Matthew 26. Again, there's no class next week, so it'll be in two weeks. Matthew 26, verse 14. Uh, just as Jesus being betrayed by his own disciple. Matthew 26, verse 14. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests, one of the leaders, and asked, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 silver coins. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Now we're going to go to Matthew 27. So now he, Judas gets 30 pieces of silver. That's what he was valued at. Judas was willing to sell him. What, what's he worth? 30 pieces. What a handsome price. I'm, Judas, I'm worth 30 pieces of silver. 30, what a handsome price. Chapter 27, verse 3 through 10. Uh, chapter 27, verse 1. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. So this is after Jesus had been arrested. Judas had kissed him. He'd been arrested. He'd stood before uh, Annas, or excuse me, he stood before Caiaphas, had gone to Annas, had been before the Sanhedrin, had gone to Herod Antipas, and now was going back to uh, going back to Pilate. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priest. Um, so here's the 30 pieces of silver you got for Jesus. He returns it to the chief priest and the elders. He says, I have sinned, he says, for I have betrayed innocent blood. They say, what is that to us? They replied, that's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple. So uh, there the idea there, just simple reading there. And again, this develops. 
He just, they won't take it from him. It's your money. We're not taking it. He throws it. You've got to take it. I'm throwing it back. Throws it into the temple. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priest picked up the coins. Chief priest. So when it says the chief priest picked up the coins and said, it is against the law to put this into the treasury since it is blood money. Uh, it was used uh, to bribe or betray somebody. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Again, that would be, you know, 48, 50 A.D. when this was being written. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. Are you with me? What was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 silver coins, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. And if you look, there's a footnote, H. A few manuscripts have something different right here. Now go to Jeremiah 19. Go to Jeremiah 19. And they are buying a potter's field, which is probably south of Jerusalem, near the Hinnom Valley in that area. In fact, we can kind of find the, we can show you the area. But they would go out there, but the clay was good for pots. And that's exactly in Jeremiah. That's where Jeremiah, when Jeremiah goes to the house of the potter and watches him make some pots. He also goes out with a pot and smashes the pot with the priest and gives them an object lesson. But by the New Testament times, the good clay had been scraped off and the only part that was left was, was worthless. You could not use it for pottery. So it was a, a, an exhausted, uh, abandoned potter's field. It, you, the potters used to own it, but they'd scraped all the, the clay off that was useful, so it was now worthless. And so they're going to use the 30 pieces of silver to buy this worthless piece of land and just use it to bury foreigners or Gentiles outside the city in the Hinnom Valley. Chapter Jeremiah chapter 19 because Jeremiah's name comes up in the New Testament while this is being talked about. Chapter 19 of Jeremiah, verse 1. This is what the Lord says. Go and buy a clay jar from the potter. Take along some of the elders of the people uh, and of the priests and go out to the valley of Ben-Hinnom, the Hinnom Valley. It'd be west side and then south of Jerusalem. Near the entrance of the potsherd gate. That's where they would come in, uh, there proclaim the words I tell you and say, Hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and people of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Listen, I am going to bring disaster on this place that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. This is Jeremiah speaking around 603 B.C. about events that will take place in 586. That's the overthrow of Jerusalem. For they have forsaken me and made this place a, a of, uh, this a place of foreign gods and have burnt sacrifices in it to gods that neither they nor their fathers nor their kings of Judah ever knew. And they have filled this place with blood of the innocent would be child sacrifice. They have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as offerings to Baal. Something I did not command or mention nor did it enter my mind. So beware, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the people will no longer call this place Topheth, or the place of the burner, there in that valley were place where burners, places where they would sacrifice children, put them in the fire. 
the topheth, it means the burner. Or the valley of Ben-Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. This is no longer going to be a place where you're going to burn children and sacrifice to your foreign gods. It's going to be known as the valley of slaughter, where all you got slaughtered to death when the Babylonians came. In this place, I will ruin the plans of Judah and Jerusalem. I'll make them fall by the sword before their enemies at the hands of those who seek their lives. And I will give their carcasses carcasses as food to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth i will devastate this city and make it as an object of scorn all who pass by will be appalled and will scoff because of all its wounds i'll make them eat the flesh of their sons and daughters and they will eat one another's flesh during the stress of the siege imposed on them by the enemies who seek their lives then when you say that to the people, Jeremiah is supposed to say that to the priests and the chosen people he's taken out to the Hinnom Valley looking over that. Then break the jar. He bought a pottery, a pottery, a, a jar of pottery. Then break the jar while those who go with you are watching and say to them, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will smash this nation and this city just as this potter's jar is smashed and cannot be repaired. They will bury the dead in Topheth until there's no room uh, no more room. In other words, there's just bodies stacked up on bodies in open grave. This is what the Lord. This is what I will do to this place and to those who live here, declares the Lord. I will make this city like Topheth, the house in Jerusalem, and those of the kings of Judah will be defiled like this place. Topheth, the burner, all the houses where they burn incense on their roofs to all the starry hosts and poured out drink offerings to the other gods. Jeremiah then returned from the burner, returned from Topheth, where the Lord had sent him, or Yahweh had sent him to prophesy, and stood in the court of the Lord's temple and said to all the people. Then he goes up to the temple courts. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Listen, I'm going to bring on this city and on the village around every disaster I pronounced against them because they are stiff-necked and would not listen to my words. And so that is... Uh, jeremiah and the potter's field and that is the field that was then bought with the money after all the pottery has been scraped off it's all connected and we'll clean that up next week uh uh as as we look at this uh we one more thing that's going to take place here uh chapter 11 verse 14 then i broke my second staff union annulling the brotherhood between judah and israel and that's the last thing that second staff is broken and now not only have they lost favor from god now the unity between the brothers that jesus tried to create is broken and the jews will just begin to devour each other and that again is probably the fate uh, of jerusalem in 60 to 70 a.d that is being prophesied there because of their way they responded to the good shepherd we'll pick that up next week uh and again add to it those last few verses because then jeremiah zacharias told by god now take those the tools or the uniform of the foolish shepherd the worthless shepherd and act out the part and no longer treat the sheep right treat them like the antichrist would treat them and that is going to be the one the, the shepherd that's going to come after jesus that they're going to they're going to be willing to follow but anyway i'll pray and we'll talk about this more in two weeks father do thank you for the chance to look into these verses we ask that we may handle it diligently that we may take our warning to our own souls that we would be honoring you in our lives the things we do the things we say and father we ask that we may be a light and a source of hope for this generation at this time in jesus name we pray amen thank you for being here